0: everybody and welcome to our latest Golf Only Better podcast as we look ahead to this week's Ryder Cup. Marco Simone in Rome. Cannot wait for all the action to unfold. Let's dive in and start the preview. Joined today as ever by Ben Coley and Dave Tindall. Guys, welcome to you both. Uh, ben, we've got back-to-back weeks of match play. Solheim obviously now followed by the Ryder Cup as ever. A hugely exciting time of year. How high is your excitement level right now, Ben?
1: too high, I would say, uh, given the there are still three, well, two and a half days until it starts at the time of recording. But um, yeah, it, it's my favourite event in golf. I think my second favourite is probably the Solheim and that was so good last week. You almost feel like we might have peaked already and uh, maybe the Ryder Cup will be a blowout. But then uh, I was thinking about that sort of idea and actually, you know, it's very hard to think of Ryder Cups where, in recent times, where it's been really close going into the singles I think you have to go back to about 2004 for the time it was really close Uh, and it and yeah I don't remember a dull one Uh, even you know last time at Whistling Straits I'm sure some people wanted a bit more um, bang for their buck so to speak but it was still compelling television wasn't it wasn't it seeing how Rory McIlroy responded on the Sunday after a really disappointing week and um, it just always delivers so yeah I can't wait to get going.
0: Dave, likewise, I mean, it, look, the, we seem to wait around so long. Obviously, that's the beauty of, you know, the Rider Cups. They don't come around that often. And when they do, there's so much sort of hype and anticipation. Where does it rank for you? I guess, like Ben said, it's sort of his favourite event in golf. For you, obviously, you've got the majors and the rider Cup, the pinnacles, the, the highlight of the calendar year. But where does the rider Cup sit for you in terms of uh, favourite events in the calendar?
2: It's one of those ones, it's like a sliding scale. If you ask me right now, we're recording this on Tuesday... I'm like, "Mm, maybe like third. But then you you ask me in the heat of battle when it's all going off, I'll go, yeah, number one, without any shadow of a doubt. So I think it is a week where you kind of do go a bit mad. You'll see players talking afterwards and they'll say it's the best thing that's ever happened, ever, to them. And take a bit of distance away from that. And it looks a bit, well, that's a bit much to be saying that, but you do get caught up in it. I know I do. So so yes right now I'm it's a bit calm before the storm and um I think I'll have you know a, a very different answer uh don't know some saturday friday friday is sort of jockeying for position I guess um but yeah no it's one of, is one of my favorite sporting events actually um of, of any sport I, I was lucky enough to be at medina in 2012 I, was, I still when people say what's the best live event you've ever been to it was certainly that um that was just still incredible and that that happened and to be there was just such a a privilege so hopefully well I don't know about hopefully because I I I don't want it to be tight so I want some jeopardy to some extent but um, I'm not sure I could handle a dramatic finish like that again
0: and I think that's the thing with this this year's edition the intrigue really obviously we had all the you know, the contention with Liv and, and a lot of the, you know, the European stalwarts. I know it's a changing the guard anyway, but we're going to miss some, we're going to miss some faces, well, we either are or we aren't, that have been a feature of European Rider Cups for an awful long time. We've also seen the strength of the Americans in that dominant performance, as we've alluded to, at Whistling Straits. The Europeans, it is kind of a new a new era, if you like. How much does all that's played out over the last year or so really add to the intrigue this week?
1: Yeah, it definitely does. Um, and it's it's helped sort of, it, it bridges the gap between Ryder Cups, doesn't it? I would say once play begins, to, to a large extent, that stops and, and you kind of forget almost about uh, all those little debates that may have been ongoing. I mean, like who really remembers that, you know, Peter Hansen sort of won in the Czech Republic just to get into the Ryder Cup team just at the death back, uh, you know, 10 years ago and, who really remembers. I mean, in time, I don't think people will really think much about the fact that once we were debating Matt Wallace or Sergio Garcia, um, it it just, that sort of pales into insignificance and and we focus on the, the 24 players who are there. Obviously, for Europe, Um, The absence of some of the greatest Ryder Cup players in history uh, is significant, but I think that absence would have existed anyway. Um, Graham McDowell said it himself this week. He, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, simply have not played good enough golf to have been anywhere near the Ryder Cup team this time around. The one potential exception could have been Sergio, but I think even he was probably short of the standard required. So really, it's on the American side where the absences will be felt because it's hard to argue against the fact that A, Dustin Johnson would have been in the side, but B, Bryson DeChambeau's form Mm -hmm. has really come back around and that he could be a potential absentee. So all of a sudden, from this scenario where Luke Donald might have been forced to answer some very difficult questions, which you'll still meet in some degree and and has dealt with very well so far, actually, the focus might be on Zach Johnson and why is Bryson DeChambeau not here, which is... Very much not something I'd have seen coming three or four months ago. So, uh, yeah, they're interesting angles. But once that first ball's in there on Friday, uh, the, the talking stops and we get on with it with the 24 we've got. And they're all fantastic players, obviously.
0: They are indeed. But Dave, how interesting is it that we have this kind of this changing of the guard with the European side? And we have, let's be honest, the hype and excitement of looking out for some young talent in the game who are going to be part of European Ryder Cups for years to come.
2: Yeah, as as Ben said, it, it, it's been sort of forced by live, but I, I think it would have been a, a sort of natural uh, drop away in some of those names on the European side, anyway. But it, but, um, it is very exciting to see the likes of Aberg and Hoygaard uh, playing this, this time. And and uh, some, sometimes you get young players, maybe, and you think, well, this is the start of four or five Ryder Cups, and it doesn't happen. Um, but certainly with Aberg, you've got to think this is like match one in about eight or something you you know this is just the start for him um so yeah it is exciting to see to to see new names and it it maybe adds to the unpredictability of it all because in the past you kind of knew who you're up against i mean it is this is one fascinating thing that i kind of found out when i was doing my research was that in 2021 i know the americans were favorites but if you look at the world rankings at the time they had eight of the top 10 do you know how many of the top 10 we had? One. Yeah. It's hard to believe that. John Rahm w- was world number one, but there was no other European in the top um, 13, which is incredible. So Rory was 15th at that time. And I was looking at. That would at, be
1: his, his lowest ever world ranking. Yeah, not He thinking, what, I, since 2009.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I was thinking, was he? And then he looked back at his his season. He'd come um, outside the top 40 in three of the majors. He'd finished 14th at Eastlake, which he not normally wins. So he wasn't the roar we're getting this time. So I think people just, it's easy to forget that they're just the same player at the same stage and you forget, you need to really look at where they were actually that week. So even like Hovland, who was 14th, he was the next highest in the world rankings after around 14th. You might've thought, oh, was he a bit higher than that? I can't quite remember. Or there must've been others high up there, but no, we we were on paper. I know it's, you can say that a lot down the years that Europe have always done better than they are on paper but it, it did surprise me how low uh, the Europeans were collectively in the world rankings and just how high the Americans were. Add in the home soil advantage, and it, it becomes a bit obvious that they were going to absolutely hammer us, but different this time, I think.
0: It is really different. Yeah. How do you guys both see it? Because, I, I mean, I I'm. Intrigued when when we look back, and I think I've, we might have mentioned this in another previous podcast when we've touched on the Ryder Cup, but you know you sort of go back—I don't know, six, nine months, say—but you know a bit further back, and you sort of look at the nucleus of our team. You know the Hovlands, the Rams, and the, the you know the McElroy and obviously Hovland's form of late has been sensational. But you kind of looked at the the full twelve and you kinda of wondered you, you looked at the strength in depth and it probably wasn't there, whereas on the US side was it was, was just incredible. We saw that whistling straight. But recently I guess with the emergence of Aberg and we look at some of the performances of some of the other European players, we thought it might it could be quite one sided. Whereas now, and as you say, with the with the added advantage of, of home soil, surely it's going to be a lot closer than a lot of people could have imagined six months ago.
1: I think for me this is this might be the only or well, the first time I could make an argument that Europe have the best three players in the tournament, mm. in the event. I, I think Rory McIlroy, Victor Alden and John Rahm, you can make a very strong case that they're three of the best four players in golf. I mean, they clearly are, but they are actually the best three. And yeah, there'll be some recency bias there because we've seen them playing over the last six weeks where um, you know Scotty Scheffler last seen in August. Um, and by the way, I think that's a factor that probably deserves more discussion. I, I think the idea that the American side can... Finish the PGA Tour season, take a month off and rock up at a Ryder Cup. Yeah. I think it's borderline arrogant, to be honest with you. Like, why were they, why were none of them at Wentworth? Why did more of them not play in the Fortinet Championship? Because I'm sure some of them will slip straight back into it. But Rory McIlroy said he cannot imagine playing a Ryder Cup after a month off. And I find it really strange. And I expect we'll hear Zach Johnson answer that question in the coming days, if he hasn't answered it today, in fact. But Yeah, I think Europe are stronger at the top. And although it might seem like that's fairly normal, I think you'd do well to go back over the last 20 years and find a a European side that does have the edge at the very top. Now, at the tail, they don't. Um, They probably have the weakest four players in the event, but it was ever thus, right? And um, they've overcome that before. And certainly, I think they can do it again. I I do think it's going to be a very tight Ryder Cup, but Europe's chances have looked better and better with every passing month or summer.
0: Yeah, Dave, do you agree? I mean, you look at the recent form and you look at, as, as Ben said, the, the top of our tree. How do you see that kind of the favourites heading into this week, taking into account that home soil advantage?
2: Yeah, I mean, we we kind of forget sometimes, but I think we're all aware in the build-up that the Americans haven't won on European soil for 30 years. That stat is starting to come up more to the fore. Like Zach Johnson was asked about it and he brushed under the carpet a little bit and what can you say Um but you know it is significant that you could go back through history and look at American size and go oh look at how strong they are and, and, it, and they still couldn't get it done so yeah so even though again on on, on paper we looked to have some of the weaker players down the lower end but then you think back to sort of that's the sort of making of heroes isn't it it's like Phil Price beating Phil Mickelson and stuff like that so we've got a really very, you know, brilliant top end. We've got a really solid middle and then down the bottom, you could say, well, we've got potential heroes. So um, that's what tends to happen when the Ryder Cup is on European soil. These guys who, it's hard to call Bur sort of a, a sort of plucky hero though, isn't it? So, you know, who knows what he's going to be like. So, um, I mean, there are players, I, I know some people maybe a little bit down on McIntyre, but, He's someone who steps up in big events before. We, we saw him play that ridiculous shot to the last um, at the Scottish Open. I mean, what pressure was it on him there? And he, he, he did well there. He, he's played well in Masters. He's played well in Opens. So even though he would be in, you know, a few weak link sections for people, he's still capable of turning it on and, and providing inspiration when his, his bare form doesn't, doesn't think so. So, yeah, I'm definitely on the side of Europe.
0: Yeah. And Ben, for you, how much do you how much do you put on that home game advantage? Given the task ahead for the Americans and how we've seen in previous Ryder Cups, the ability for the crowd to absolutely energise their team, how much importance do you place on playing on home soil?
1: It's very difficult. I mean, obviously, it is important. Um, I, I do think in Paris, in particular the course, you could have put that course anywhere in the world. If that course was in South Africa, um, it would have still been hugely to Europe's advantage. Um, America were not prepared for how you have to go about playing at the Golf National. I do think Marco Simone is fundamentally different. It's a more American style of golf course, even though we've heard this talk of a really thick, rough. I mean, you know, one of the videos I think the Ryder Cup USA account posted was sort of, to find that rough, you'd have had to hit an 80 yard shank off the tee. So, I'm not sure it's particularly relevant. But, um, driver for me, the one thing about Marco Simoni is driver is the most important club. You've got three drivable par fours, three reachable par fives. Um, and and throughout, there's a real emphasis on driving the ball well. Two of the win- three winners of the Italian Open there were the best drivers in the field that week. That's a real change from Le Golf Nationale, where generally speaking, driver is kept in the bag. So, I think that that helps the Americans. But we saw as well in Paris that. It's very, very hard to quieten the European crowd. I think a lot of people forget that that first session was All-America uh, in Paris. And and everyone was worried because they'd won at Hazeltine really convincingly. They came out on that first session and they fired. But Europe turned the tide. And once once Europe start winning matches, it's really, really hard for the Americans to, to stop that. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily a massive believer in this sort of nebulous concept of... Um, momentum in sport but I think in certain circumstances you do see things bleed into other areas of, of the competition and, and it's definitely happened in Europe so I think it's an advantage yes. Um, but I think really for me the, the key advantages Europe have are the fact that they're sharp all 12 of them played in a high class tournament two weeks ago and they, they know the course as well and I actually think quite a lot of their partnerships are, uh, are really nice as well so I, I think they've got loads in their favour but despite all this we should acknowledge the USA are narrow favourites and I think that's they'll go off narrow favourites, and and I think probably based on the way they won their record victory three uh, two years ago, sorry, they probably do still deserve to be narrow favourites.
0: Yeah, let's get sort of specifically more into the the, the markets, and obviously we'll talk the betting favourites regarding USA and Team Europe. But then we'll get into specifics of the players and who we expect to potentially play all five sessions, and obviously top point scorers for their continent or their country. They for you the market, are the are, are US, as are they just deserved favourites? Would, would you agree with how the top of the, the market's looking in terms of favourites for this week's Ryder Cup?
2: Well, it's got more realistic. There was, there was a time not so long back when um, they were heavy favourites, heavy odds on favourites. And uh, I think anyone who was watching a video of whistling straights, maybe straight after when that market was formed, they would have thought, well, yeah, fair, fair enough. But as time ticks on and then for these other reasons – uh, that Ben has said, I mean, you know, a year out, who knows what people's schedules were, but right now we know that the Americans haven't turned up. So it's it's almost like you can, if there's going to be a root and branch investigation into why they failed again, well, you've got reasons already, haven't you, to, to pin on them that they, you know, they, that they didn't play enough before, and it's quite a, a basic thing to to be doing. And just a course form as well, I'm not, I'm not sure you would have got many over them to come over to play the Italian Open. But Justin uh, Thomas came over to play Le Golf National um, oh. in 2018. And hey-ho, he finished top point scorer. So, you know, that, that seems to be a bit of, you know, justification for doing so. And then you look at your, the European team and maybe some of those guys you might think are the weak links. Well, they've actually won on the course. They've won, you know, Hoygaard and, and McIntyre course winners. And then we've got other players. We've got, we've got Fitzpatrick and Fleetwood, Dave. Uh, they finished runner-up there. Rory played well on his only visit. Hatton was eighth there as well. So we've got, just as we did at other places, like the Golf National at Celtic Manor, at Glen Eagles, you've got a load of Europeans who not only might like the course, we know they do. I mean, maybe it'll be set up slightly differently, but it still helps that there's a lot of positive memories there. And the Americans got nothing, absolutely nothing on, the, on this course. So you just presuming that they might go well. I'm not even... I don't know. You you can... It depends how you look at it. If you you just look at the players and you think, yes, the Americans deserve to be favourites. But if you look at history and surely history keeps repeating, you've got to think, Europe should be favourites, shouldn't you? I mean, the home advantage in Ryder Cups. I I was looking at at the Solheim, um, where the the previous eight Solheim Cups had, had won had gone four to the home uh, side, four to the away, and then we get a tie as well. So that's almost like there's nothing there at all to to hang on. Well, six of the last seven Ryder Cups have gone the way of the home team, and it it would have been seven, but for Medina. So to me, that's a lot of evidence. I know, I think I saw Ben write this, that it's still only seven times, even though it's every two years, so it's not like it's happened a thousand times in... In twenty years, but I, I think it started to become really significant that that the home team gets it done. And whatever you put it down to, do you put it down to the course? Is it the crowd shouting rude things? I don't know, but it's certainly something's going on, isn't it? Um, yeah. So until I see evidence that an away team can start to turn the tide, I, I've got to be nailing my colours to the host every single time.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's skewed slightly, isn't it, because of the performance at Whistling Straits. And as we say, I said this a lot last week for the Solheim. It's like on paper, you look at the world rankings and the strength in depth, but I just think, yeah, as you said, some of the recent course form for the for the Europeans, just that home advantage. It's so difficult to call. Ben, when we're looking at the markets though, any any thoughts or any advice for, for punters in terms of playing that winner market, and also maybe um, an addition to look at, you know, predicting and betting on the on the correct scores for this week.
1: Yeah, well, f- for me, I mean, I think we were on this podcast a couple of months ago when, and I'm, it's not very useful information to anyone who doesn't listen regularly now, but we were talking about Europe as a two to one chance. We're now talking about Europe as a six to five chance. That's a, that's a big difference. Um, and I think, personally, for me, I, I think that the ship has probably sailed there. I think the way to play, if you want to be back in Europe, and, you know, this, this is a serious podcast for, you know, people who bet regularly, I understand that. But the Ryder Cup is not the best betting event in golf, right? It is the best event in golf. But in terms of betting opportunities, I could have given you four or five better ones last week in France and four or five better ones next week in Scotland. And I apologize to the producer for saying that. But the point is a lot of people will like to bet on the Ryder Cup recreationally, knowing that they're not getting the massive edge, knowing that this is not part of their they don't have to log it on a spreadsheet and know that they got they beat the book by five percent or whatever. They just want to bet for fun. And that's fine. Right. So for me, the way to do that is to play either winning margin or correct scores. And I am leaning in favour of Europe. So I think you back 14 and a half, 13 and a half, 15, 13 and 15 and a half, 12 and a half. So that's Europe to win by one to three points. You're looking at something like a seven to two shot rather than taking six to five Europe. Uh, And I do struggle to see them you know, winning by a wide margin. So, um, yeah, that would be how I'd play it. Just just picking a few correct scores for the narrowest possible victories. Uh, and then hopefully, you know, we get a great spectacle and you make a few quid when you come on the wrong side of it, the right side of it, rather.
0: Good stuff. Dave, agree?
2: Yeah, so you've got to, if you're playing correct scores, you, you drive yourself mad if you pick one score out and you see someone miss a tiddler or something conceded at the last, like it, it was with Tiger and Molinari at Medina, which actually worked in my favour because I'd, I'd got 14 and a half, 13 and a half. So that just didn't seem a possible scoreline until the, the absolute death. So yeah, I'd cluster um, some scorelines, but I'd go wider than Ben. I actually think we might win by a bit. So I'd, I'm i going to go... I'd go 15 and a half, 12 and a half as my sweet spot, and then I'd go one either side of that, I think. Um, so I think we... I think if it starts to go a bit wrong for the americans i think the, the gap could just open up a little bit so i, I kind of want 16 12 as part of my set of results um but yeah the, the sort of theory is is similar to ben's you want to cluster a few um that can cover like a bit of a dramatic last hole i mean it could be in a dead match couldn't it and then you just it means nothing to them but it means everything if you've had a bet on it but it seems to be the way to, to do it it's just a bit more appealing isn't it to say yeah, I had 16 12 or whatever then and I'd say yeah I backed Europe at five to four not not very sexy
0: so 16 12 you that you're you're pretty confident about that what in terms of the the betting how does that look
2: it's a it's a 14 to one shop 16 twelve um yeah I am I'm <laughs> confident
0: <laughs> I'm let loving it be this, said, yeah I'm loving this optimism bed 14 to one as well for they shout there what do you reckon?
2: No, for,
1: for once, I hope Dave is right. Uh, and I'm more so than I hope I'm right. I mean, obviously, we're, we're very similar. But um, yeah, the more comfortable, the better. I, You know, I like sporting drama. But for one week, every every couple of years, you know, I'm, I'm extremely partisan. And, and the most important thing this week is for, for Europe to win the Ryder Cup. So yeah, it can be 28 and I'll be very, very happy.
0: Look, good stuff. What about point scorers? I'll stay with you, Ben, on this. Who both sides? Again, looking at the markets and just your gut feeling as to who we're going to see at the top of the table when it comes to Europe and the United States.
1: Yeah, so there's a really interesting dynamic here, and that's that's the golf course. And I think a lot of people will tell you this is one of the hardest walks you can find. Um now they're young, fit people. <laughs> um, you know, it really shouldn't be too much of an excuse, but um, and we, we're we talking to the extent that the caddies have been given the option of a smaller bag this week, a stand bag, which is just, it just doesn't happen. Um, Europe have got reserve caddies in case any of the caddies cannot go and do another 18 holes. So it is a serious physical test. Um, and Luke Donald and Zach Johnson have both said that the idea of sending people out five times is something they're, certainly trying to avoid almost. Um, and and I know Luke has spoken to, to McIlroy, to Rahm, and made clear that it may well be that what's best for them is to sit out a session. And if you go back to whistling Straits, which, by the way, is a pretty tough walk as well, um, you know, Rory's the one who sat out Saturday afternoon. Uh, he came out firing on Sunday, whereas John Rahm and Victor Hovland, who played all five sessions between them, uh, Rahm was thumped by Scotty Scheffler, who obviously was very fresh. I think he played three times. Um, and Hovland played all five times and he, he shared his match with Colin Maricala. So, I mean, that's very limited evidence. And obviously, Dustin Johnson won all five matches. Francesco won all five matches. I think it's probable that somebody on either side probably does go out five times because of circumstances. So because Rory wins his first three matches, he's done by the 13th hole in Saturday morning. And he just, you, you can't say, you can't drop him in that scenario, right? But I do think we should just keep that in the back of our minds. Um, But speaking of Rory, he's the one for me in the top outright scorer market. This is a market that Europe traditionally dominate. And, and the theory behind that would be that because they don't have the strength and depth, that they rely on their key players to go again and again. And that European success has depended on one or two players scoring four or more points. and um, They've even won this market in heavy defeats. So Thomas Peters won it at Hazel team, Ian Poulter won it. Valhalla. So typically the US spread the load a little bit better than Europe. If that remains the case then I think backing Europeans in the outright um, and the US in their own market is probably the way to go. Uh, I've landed on Rory, I think particularly after what happened at Whistling Straits. I think this means probably more to him than anybody. It means a lot to all of them but I, I, I really do believe that Rory McIlroy is absolutely determined to leave a lasting Ryder Cup legacy probably above most things apart everything apart from the Masters now um and i think this is a fantastic golf course for him i also think he's going to have really good partners i think he's going to play with tommy fleetwood um and i i also think backing fleetwood at about 16 to 1 as a saver makes sense for that reason i think we could see rory and hovland we could see rory and aberg as well so i think he's got a really strong book of partners a bit stronger than potentially john Rahm, for instance um so that's the logic between um for backing him and fleetwood and then just briefly on the us side i do like max homer um couple of reasons. One, he played. I mean, I keep going on about it, but he's played some golf recently, which has yeah. to be to his advantage. Um, I think it's easily forgotten. He went 4-0 at the President's Cup. He, he missed one session. He won all four of his matches. He didn't just win them. Uh, he he was the reason his group won. He played with Fee now. He played with Billy Horschel. He carried his partner uh, and he was absolutely fantastic. He looked like he was born for this. Um, so I do like Homer. I think we'll see him with Colin Morikawa probably in the very first session. And if they get off to a winning start, then from there, he could have a really, a really good week. And actually, with Scheffler's putting problems and Brooks Kepka's form, I thought it was very hard to really define the US side in quite the same way. So Homer could be more important to that side than a lot of people think. So he, he's the one for me. I'd also give a shout out to Sam Burns. Um, and the reason for that is almost by association, because we know that he's Scotty Scheffler's best friend. It's very likely they play together at least once, possibly two or three times. And therefore, a Sheffler's your favourite in this market, you've got Sam Burns at a considerably bigger price. And they might enter the singles on the same number of points by default. So for that reason, he's got to be of some interest as well.
0: Great stuff. Great insight. Can I just say, by the way, just a completely irrelevant comment. Sam Burns is mullet. What is going on with that hairstyle? I mean, how that shouldn't be allowed at a Ryder Cup.
1: I, wow. I, I tend not to criticise hairstyles, Sarah, <laughs> but um, I, I agree with you. Sam Burns' hair is preposterous. If I had that hair, I would do something much better with it.
2: Yes
0: it's horrific. <laughs> Absolutely it's pa- horrific.
2: It's pa- it's part of a wider problem. If you watch, if you look at the youth of today, there are a lot of mullets knocking about. <laughs> it's for some reason a haircut that should have been killed off has <laughs> got new legs or new hair. I know. Um, and some terrible ones. There the are. Footballer, footballer Matt Doherty. Ter- look at his hair. Awful.
0: It is the users today, Dave. is shocking. What are they thinking? <laughs> anyway, back to business. Yeah, back to ben, business. Dave, yeah, uh, markets when it comes to top point scorers.
2: Yeah, some uh, good logic there by Ben. And I, I, I agree with uh, plenty of it. I, I did write a section down on my notes called, Is Five Points Doable? Um, because Ben's sort of hinting at the fact that maybe you won't get um, guys going into battle all five days. But just, I mean, Ben's already touched on this, but you, you you go through past team events. So DJ got all five points in 2021. Molinari got all five points in 2018. So it's happened in the last two Ryder Cups. Jordan Spieth got all five points in the 2022 President's Cup. Uh, Jim Furick did the same in the President's Cup. Brandon Grace even got five points in the President's Cup. You can get people um, who are just it's their week and they absolutely get on a roll. Now, to, to go, go a bit more nuanced on that, if you look back to Molinari, I, I think, it, I think it, it's not necessarily going to be a tactic that's laid out in stone from the start. It might be like a bit of a move in scale but because, uh, Ben said, like with McIlroy, if he won you know, six and five or something, but if you look back to Mollywood, so Molinari and Tommy Fleetwood, they were winning heavy, so they, they weren't out on the course as long as you might have thought. So their last three games, they won five and four, four and three, five and four. So on that, they had some energy in the tank. It's not like they won every game on the last green. So it might have been that, say for the last game, that they did think, well, do you know what? We finished some games early, send them out again. And they did. And then even within that, then you've got the evidence. So what happened to them in the singles? Fleetwood was knackered and got hammered by Tony Fee now. But then you go, oh yeah, but Molinari, uh, he won his singles. But then, looking at another side of that, he beat Mickelson. It was an absolute dud that week. So it can be that this argument: how tired are they? It, a lot depends on who they draw in the singles. If they draw someone who's red hot, then yeah. it looks like their their tiredness might be exaggerated. If they draw someone who's had a sh- shocker of a week, uh, then they can get over the line. So, so, so yeah, I do I do think that. We might touch on some more of these in a bit, but the the odds on that is that, have I said that right, odds on that? Is that is that the official yeah. line, <laughs> ben. Um so Some of the, the ones that the customers have requested, um, there's quite a few, will John Rahm score five points? Will Victor score five points? I think if you're a big fan of e- either of those, you have got this historical evidence mm-hmm. that people can get five points, uh, so, you know, there's a chance to play them at, at quite big prices. In terms of who I think, I actually do like John Rahm and Ben isn't as keen. Um, I think he's got every chance of playing five because he might demolish a few people. It, it depends who he gets, doesn't it? Hatton seems a likely partner, which is could be great, couldn't it? I mean, they, those, those two could really um, blast people aside. Could be Hovland a little bit. Um, but I, I just think he's... He's kind of worked this event out now. I mean, it's 2018 in Paris. it was all a bit nervy. He only played twice in the first four sessions. And it was a bit like, oh, John, John, it's all going well this, but old John Brown's not come to the party much. And then he beat Tiger in the singles. I think that kind of flipped it for him. It suddenly became like a Ryder Cup. He turned from a boy to a man in Ryder Cup terms. And then in Western Straits, he was the, the top scorer. So I think this course... Ben has said it, it, it really favours those who drive the ball well. You know, that's very much in John Rahm territory. So I think he's he's just, he just can get on these rolls, can't he? Even in recent events where he's not maybe been on it all 72 holes, he's had these bursts where he's just gone mad, like at Wentworth when he's had a few problems and he's just sort of taken off. Um, maybe same in the open, he, he was sort of nowhere and then he comes and finishes runner-up somehow. So he's he's got the kind of form and the personality Um, I think, to win this market. And I I would as well look to back him top overall point scorer for the the whole event for the similar reasons Ben says. And I do agree with Ben on Max Homer, um, four points out of four at the President's Cup. I did have a cheeky little check of his Walker Cup performance when he played in that. He won two points out of three in that. So he does like this sort of stuff. And if you go back in history, um, I I think another uh, another. Um, market to back him in um, would be top rookie but in terms of just top American definitely because it happens a lot so I, I've, I've written down um, an American rookie has won this market in 2002 David Toms 2004 Chris DiMarco Hunter Mayan 2008 Bradley and Jason Duffer in 2012 they shared it Patrick Reed at Glen Eagles he was top American rookie Thomas Justin Thomas as well. You almost can't believe he was a rookie in 2018, but he was. And most of those won it outright. Sometimes it, it was a share, but it's a it's a big trend that an American rookie um, just seems to take to it like a duck to water. And I think Max Holmes has got all that kind of thing about him. I, I don't know, for some reason, because it's in Rome, a sort of historical city that I somehow, I don't know why it makes me think Max Homer because he's a bit more cerebral than some of them, will somehow relish the surroundings more than others. He'll be researching a load of, sort of Roman history and everything during the week while others others on the putting green. But yeah, I think he, for more normal reasons, I think Max Homer is a good bet for, for a top American.
0: Yeah, and he does love pizza, so you might have something in there. Yes. Yeah. All those
2: reasons. Good reasons.
0: <laughs> okay. So what about some look? We've kind of gone favourites. We've had a look at some of the top point scores. I'm going to get you all to, to recap these at the end of the pod, but let's just crack on a little bit in terms of some of the other specials this week, Ben. What's taking your fancy?
1: So some similar names, but I'll I'll go through a couple of markets. Top wild card, I think is interesting. Obviously, you've got um 12 players in this. Um I thought Arberg was interesting enough at 9 to 1, but I think Burns at 10 to 1 and Fleetwood at 6 to 1. They're, they're both going to benefit from their partners. Uh, and I think Fleetwood in particular, I, I think it's forgotten, and, and Dave touched upon this at the start, that um, back in 2021 at Whistling Straits, that was probably Tommy's worst year in the last five. Um, and, and we had a few of those players, Matt Fitzpatrick, Tyrrell Hatton, just, just not necessarily coming into that event um, on the back of their best form. Um, and Tommy was definitely one of them. And yet he still produced a decent performance that suggests to me that I just think he's perfect for this. I think his demeanour, I think the, the the way he sort of can act as a foil for someone, uh, the, the consistency. I mean, in match play, we think about explosive players and making loads of birdies and stuff. Quite a lot of the times, the hardest players to beat in match play are the ones who just hit the ball in the fairway, hit the green, set up opportunities. Certainly in four balls, you know, he'll, he'll be a great player to play with because, you know, he'll generally be in the game. Um, but I think the the best bet of all the specials potentially, well, I've got two. At a short price, the top European rookie, I think Aberg is favourite at about 13 to 8, but I, he's, he's simply going to get more matches than the other three. Um, he's got to go and win a couple of them. I think maybe if you get two points, you would win this market. Um, and I think he can do that. So um, I, I think he's a, very very solid favourite in a in a four runner race. The other one's the top USA wild card, So this is six players. Favourites: Kepka. Not enough has been said for me about his form. He's become a dad recently. He admits he spent not a lot of time practicing um, around that time. Um, Speeth and JT will play together, and therefore, if you get them against you know Rory and Hovland and they lose, you're, you're killing two birds with one stone there. Um, Fowler might be with Harmon, which, you know, I don't think we should necessarily fear. And that leaves you again with Sam Burns, who I think will play with Scheffler. Uh, he's the outsider in this market at six to one in a six runner field. Um, and I just think he, he's there because he was the 12th man for the USA. But that doesn't mean he's the 12th man now. That was when the team was announced and the nature of qualifying. I think his position in their hierarchy is probably a good deal higher, higher than Harmon, higher than Fowler. And therefore, I think six to one's a really nice bet.
0: Okay, lovely. Dave, for you, what about some of the specials on offer this week?
2: Yeah, if you like Ram, you could go the whole way and back him to score all five points, and then it comes down. Four points um, is nine to two. Three points or more um, is 13 to 10, and I I think that's a solid uh, sort of market to to bet on because if he does get five goes. um, So I'd look at that. I've got a difference of opinion on the... Um, American wild card. Um I've just got a feeling this is like role reversals, isn't it? I'm I'm shouting for Justin Thomas this week and Ben isn't. Um I just think there's something going to play out here. It's just deciding which market to back him in because I think he'll do well I and mean, he's got he's got an obvious partner in speed so I think he'll go into bat quite a lot. He obviously was top point scorer the last time it was held on uh, European soil and then the counter argument. What about the form though? But then if you look at the bare form, he's finished 12th and 7th. his <laughs> last two PGA Tour events. He's not exactly hopeless, is he? And the 7th was at the Fortinet, which he sort of, it's kind of worked out that he probably wouldn't have played that, but he, because he's trying to prove that he, or trying to find some form that he did. And I think that could be a really useful thing to have done. Max Homer, of course, yeah. played in that one as well. So he's got some recent um, game under his um, under his belt, and actually, you know, twelfth and seventh, not too bad, is it? And and you can hide the odd crazy shot in in a Ryder Cup in a, you know, in team play. You know, Spieth might chip in to bail him out at some point. So, yeah, it's just which market to play. I mean, I'm tempted by the the wild card, top wild card market almost because it's sort of that's that was the big controversy, wasn't it? Should he get a wild card? I think there's a, a bit of sort of delicious irony of he then is the, the best wildcard performer on show. So, yeah, i have got a funny feeling about Justin Thomas doing well this week.
0: I agree with you as well. I think Ben touched on at the top, the, the, the fact that he played, you know, and Max played at the Fortinet, I think that's key. And, you know, we say this a lot, sometimes players are sometimes born for that environment, aren't they? And even if he hasn't had his best stuff, the ability to find it at a Ryder Cup or a Solheim is, is some players can just do that. Some players can just find some magic. Uh, listen, we're nearly out of time. just wanted to recap, if we can, summarise uh, your best bets for the week. So let's start, Ben, with you. We'll go winner's market, obviously, um, top point scorers and any other specials that punters would like to have a little, little little go at this week.
1: Yeah, so it's Europe to win by one to three points uh, for me. Um, you can do that either in a winning margin market or by playing those specific correct scores. I think if you throw in, Dave, Dave obviously went one further with the correct scores to 16-12 you group the four of them, you're still looking at a really nice price versus the the outright market. Um, And I think that's the way to play Uh, if, like us, you are, in favour of Europe. I really do think McRoy will have a massive Ryder Cup. Um, And I think European success uh, depends a lot on how he plays and how that partnership with Tommy, probably first or second match out on Friday goes. Uh, so I'm backing both of those in the top overall scorer market. As I said, been dominated by Europe down the years. For the US, I like Max Homer. He's sharp. Uh, he's really made for this competition and he's a good fit for the course as well. And um, from those side markets, I think you've got to find a way to play Sam Burns because I, I do think he is underestimated based on the fact that, you know, his partnership with Scheffler should be upgrading him a little bit. And finally, for the most solid bet of the week, Aberg uh, to be the top European rookie. I'm getting confused between wildcard and rookie, but it's rookie. Um, there are four of them. Um, he's the only one I can imagine playing in the first session on Friday, Uh, And if he were to go and get a point there, you know, even that could be enough. I don't think it quite will be, but I think he he should be a key man this week and 13-8 to looks a good price.
0: Good stuff. Dave, likewise?
2: Yeah, I was going to roll out some burns for having a mullet, but um, I I just remembered that... I'm with you. um, John Daly had a mullet when he won at St Andrews, didn't he? So it it can be done, can be pulled off. I'd like to pull it off, terrible haircut. I shouldn't dwell on it though, but (laughs) I do feel quite passionate about it. Um, yeah Europe to win uh, definitely and I will just say this if, if you've if you put like on a lab coat and got a load of stats going mad and you think on oh, my evidence now USA should be a bet and you actually want Europe to win don't back the Americans because they look slightly a good price you won't enjoy it seriously if you, if you want to be back in a even money should have a two ball next week. Don't waste your expend emotional energy or or compromise yourself to a ridiculous position. So, in terms of Europe, then I, I do like that 16 12 scoreline at 14 to 1. 15 and a half, uh, 12 and a half is uh, 12 to 1 as well. Um, so, those are the two I'll sort of hone in on. I could go one either way, um, either side of those. I like Max Homer, same as Ben for top. Uh, US point scorer like John Rahm for top overall point scorer and uh, I'll back him at 13 to 10 uh, to score three points or more and then Justin Thomas as well to be top uh, US wildcard maybe even the top event wildcard as well look at that I just feeling there's there's something in the air that will that will make all those pre-tournament arguments of people being incensed by him being picked I think somehow it's fated that he'll have a big week
0: Good stuff, guys. Fabulous, as always. Really appreciate your your humour and your insight. So I look forward to uh, seeing some of those uh, best bets uh, coming off of some punters uh, listening this time around. Good stuff. We'll see you next time, uh, Dave and Ben, and hope you enjoyed that one, folks. Uh, please remember to gamble responsibly. Uh, best of luck with your Ryder Cup betting. Uh, that's all for now. Enjoy all the action from Marco Simone. We'll see you soon on Golf Only Better.